You're listening to the Canned Air Podcast. Welcome to the Candare Halloween special. I am Jeremy Colley. I'm Jack Doherty. I'm Jake Runyon. And boy, do we have a, one hell of a good show for you this year. I look forward to this all year. This is like Christmas. For I am always very proud of our Halloween oh, episodes. Yeah. They've yeah. been pretty solid. They're the one consistent thing in, in our lineup. <laughs> At least we've right. got that going <laughs> Right. Uh, and we're going to start the episode off doing what we uh, have done for the past few years, going around the table telling uh, ghost stories and not necessarily things that have happened to us. We've covered that ground. If you want to hear those stories, you got to listen to the past Halloween episodes. They're all good. They don't age. They hold up. Yeah, it's Halloween. It's timeless. But we, yeah, in some of those episodes, different ones, we've all told uh, personal accounts, right. supernatural accounts. But now we're, we've just kind of scoured the internet and uh, other places and found interesting stories to bring you. So uh, I'm excited to hear what you guys have. Uh, then after that, we're going to be welcoming Jed Bryan to the show, uh, creator of the movie Unlisted Owner, which is a, it looks like a really cool horror movie. I'm really stoked to watch this film. It's it's uh, about a killing called the Owner Killings. I don't know if it's one killing or a series, but uh, either way, it's uh, told from three different points of view. Like uh, from found footage, like a found footage film, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. an FFF, if you will. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um, I don't know that anyone uses that abbreviation, but we'll roll with it. They will now. Okay, what kind they of film is now. <laughs> so I'm excited to welcome him to the show later, and then after that, we welcome Larry Zerner to the show, the gentleman who portrayed Shelley in Friday the Thirteenth Part Three in 3D. And he's the guy who gave Jason the iconic mask that we all know and love today. I mean, does, does anybody see that mask and think hockey nowadays? No, never. No. It's Jason Voorhees. Especially since the masks don't even look like that anymore. No. No, <laughs> they, don't. they really don't. They're a lot safer now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> More practical. Yeah. <laughs> Around the head. Actually made of something that reflect a puck. Instead of just distributing the force across both your eyes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, but before we do all that, Jake. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. What do these three titans of social networking have in common? They're the things that keep us alive. The three legs of our stool, even though I really don't like that phrasing now that I've said it. Um, either way, you should head there, like our stuff, retweet, share, just just everything you can. Just get involved. Uh, on Facebook and Twitter, we are at CannedAirPod. On Instagram, we are at Canned underscore Air. And uh, it would mean a lot to us if you head down there, laugh at our jokes, either privately or out loud, hit the like button, retweet, etc. And don't forget, if you really, really like what we do, or you don't, you'd like to see us improve, head on down to Patreon, where just a couple of bucks a month can make a huge difference, bigger than you'd think. And if you hit that $5 or more threshold, you have access to our Founders Club Patreon-only podcast. There it is. There it is. And if you're listening to this episode, ladies and gentlemen, we are at probably about... Less than a week away from launching. Congratulations. What if? 
our new show uh, that I am really excited about. What do you guys think? Oh, absolutely. How are you feeling? I, I think it's going to be uh, good. I'm hoping. Fox says a little bit late, but that's how the best well, things hey. happen. You know, it, it had to be that way. You know, a late we, thing can eventually be good. And it was out of our control. It, it was yeah, out of our yeah. control. We had to wait. So um, but no more waiting. It's happening. Uh, we'll keep you in the know on that uh, on Twitter, on Facebook, Instagram, all those happy places. But you can find us at What If Series. Give us a follow and just uh, be there the second it launches. And with that all behind us, let's just kick it off with this week's Retro Round Table. It's showtime. Got it, dude. no expense. All right, guys, ghost stories. I am so fucking stoked. <laughs> I almost even thought about turning the lights out and getting flashlights oh, to shine in our face, cool. but I thought, nah. The effect would be kind of lost on the audience, but yeah. we'd feel it. <laughs> That's all that matters. Feel the yeah. shudder in your voice while you're talking. Ooh. Who would like Did to go first? Did you just touch me? <laughs> I'll go first with my two-sentence horror Ooh, stories. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so we'll set this up first. You said before we started you're going to be reading these between each Yeah, Yeah, because they're story just told. really quick, so instead of me just rambling off a bunch of things and make it sound like a paragraph, okay. it'll space it out a little better. Let's do it. There was a picture on my phone of me sleeping. I live alone. Ooh. <laughs> That's crazy. It gets right to the point. Yeah. Does it? Oh, that's the best. Ugh. It reminds me of an episode of Criminal, but that's not why we're here today. We're <laughs> here to talk about <laughs> creepy shit. So uh, I'll go first, I guess. Sure, I can throw just it. one of mine out there really quick. Um, the first thing I have is uh, from actually another podcast I've listened to. I'm a big fan of the podcast uh, Snap Judgment, and they also do a show called Spooked. And it only the podcast only puts new episodes out in the month of October. They start October 1st, and every week they put new episodes all the way to Halloween and disappear for a year. And there's so, so many podcasts out there that tell ghost stories, and they're all good and fun, but sure. they don't do it for me. What this one does is it actually gets the people who experienced it, and you're listening to their firsthand account. And there have been a few cases where I'm like, this person's full of shit. Right. <laughs> but um, for the most part, they're they're very convincing, very convincing uh, accounts, you know, as told by these people. And uh, I love the show. I love it. I wish it was all year round. Anyway, one of the tales uh, I've heard on this podcast, and I've actually listened to the episode several times, isn't necessarily a creepy ghost story, but um, a very interesting one at that. The, there was a woman who lived in uh, Kentucky, and I, her name escapes me. It's not very, it's not relevant. And uh, she took this one route to work on the bus every day past this line of big, beautiful houses. Do you know what well, you I, made a I face? I think I might know the story you're getting. Already? Maybe, maybe. Please continue. I want to see. Uh, and uh, this one house they would pass every day. She said when she'd pass, she'd see children looking out the window. Three kids. Is this, that's not the story. I was wrong. Okay. <laughs> Three kids looking out the window, and she'd always wave to them. And, uh, you know, she's, I think she said she couldn't recall if they would actually wave back. In her memory, they did, but maybe they weren't. Anyway, years later, this house went up for sale. It always stood out in her mind. She loved this house. And uh, the opportunity came up to buy it. So her and her husband bought the house. Big house. Great big house. They put everything they had to own this house. And it still needed a lot of work. It was old. 
first, second night they're in the house. They're in the upstairs bedroom. And the from her description, it sounded like there was like a grand staircase that kind of came down to the front double front doors, you know. And I guess the, what they heard were those doors opening and shutting, like slamming against the wall and shut. And uh, until her husband ran down there, grabbed them and stopped them. And uh, that was it. That, that's all that happened that night. He, they went to bed. He kind of marked it off as a whatever. Wander. Yeah, he didn't th- give it too much thought. You know, and I've, I've heard other accounts of people when they experience something like so weird like that. You'd rather rationalize it. Yeah. It's Well, it's almost like a defense mechanism yeah, of the yeah. mind to just shrug it off when you obviously know <laughs> some shit's up, you know. Yeah. Anyway, uh, the next day he was getting ready for work, couldn't find his shoes. They searched the house, couldn't find them. And uh, while he was gone, he'd found some other shoes, went to work. She went to the cellar that's only accessible from the outside of the house. And the shoes were in the cellar, sitting right there at the bottom of the stairs. And she said to her on the show, she's like, I knew right then we were dealing with kids. She's like, only kids would do something that silly and, you know, throw his shoes down the stairs. So pointless thing to do unless you're a child. Right, right. She, uh, knowing that they were kids, began to talk out loud to them and in a way they would almost respond and she kind of formed a little bit of a relationship with these ghosts of these three children three uh, uh, there was a little girl a little a younger boy and then another uh, baby like an infant supposedly and um one one account she told was that she had her actual child in the bath was running a bath and um had gone into the other room to do something and had dozed off on the bed and was awakened by her child screaming, ran into the bathroom thinking, oh, my God, oh, my God, you know, I've let, you know, let the water go <laughs> to find that the water was indeed overflowing and had like maybe the child had got up and turned the hot water on. So it was like overflowing, scalding hot water. Oh, my God. But the baby was suspended in air. Above the water, like someone was holding it by its underarms, just above the water. And she ran up and grabbed the child, and she said, I just thanked them profusely. You know, it was obviously them. And she goes, I was so grateful. You know, it was close to Christmas. She goes, I even bought them little Christmas gifts. And she goes, I bought the, uh, the girl a little bottle of perfume. I bought the boy a little Nerf ball. And, um... The baby, a blanket. And she says, you know, I set the blanket down and all the gifts there. And I said, these are for you, you guys. I want you to enjoy them. And she said, you could, you'd see the blanket just slowly like crinkle in spots. And she said, you'd be able to smell that perfume all over the house at different times of mm. the day, like the little girl's wearing it. And um, she said they eventually had to move. Uh, I think her mother had come up sick and oh. they had to move to where she was to take care of her. And so she had to have a moment with them, like, I'm leaving. And she said that uh, when she sat down and was talking, you know, she said she had a spot in the attic. She would always go sit and just kind of assume, like, when she was there, they could hear her or they were there. And um, told them that she had to go. And she said at that moment she could almost hear audible, slightly crying. And she said that football that she had got the boy flew across the room and hit her in the head. (laughs) And um, she said while they were packing, she came through a door and for the first time ever saw them. She said it looked like you were looking through them through like a veil of fog or maybe like a waterfall. But she said she could see the three of them like crying. 
together. And then that was pretty much it. They moved. I know there's really no like big scary climax, but no, I mean, there's something kind of wholesome about that story. Exactly. You, and you hear about these hauntings, you know, it's this thing you feel like you're supposed to be terrified of, right. but to interact with it in that way is And you know, the more I listen to this uh story, these stories on this podcast, I find that um you know, there are so many people that just accept their situation with hauntings and stuff <laughs> yeah. and just learn to coexist. And, you know, in cases like that, it's just really cool. I don't know. There's something interesting about that. I don't uh, I don't even know where I stand on the spiritual world. But, I mean, there's I, there's got to be something, I think, right? No? I have to imagine. I mean... I would think. It seems like the most logical thing, that right. there is something, anything at all. I, I can't imagine we understand every process of the universe and how things are really working, but... right. There must be something, right? You know, there was in, I think it was the late 1800s, early 1900s, you know, the supernatural seances and all that shit. That was just commonplace. Really big. And I think a lot of people at the time, maybe even Edison was came after, he was later than that, I think, right? Thomas Edison, he came after that time, late 1800s, wasn't he, early 19? Uh, yeah, I believe yeah. so. Um, but, you know, even the biggest inventors were rapidly trying to invent telephones and stuff that communicate with the dead ways to just pick up and talk to the dead so it's weird how integral that spiritualism was to the older world right even the scientific world and now they're like two completely different things exactly exactly so i don't know ghosts maybe it's just a a small wall between realities Yeah. yeah 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 that's i always think of it like um you know when you'd have a VHS tape and you'd recorded something over it, and then and you when get you, a little figment of the thing that was, was on, on there before. Yeah. Yeah. And then you record something over that, and yeah, sometimes there's static where you can see kind of both overlaying. You know, maybe different time periods and different situations. You know, I like that. That's kind of an elegant way of putting it. Are just overlaying each other. So I, I, I think of the movie uh, The Others with Nicole Kidman. Yeah, yeah, that was such a good film. Recommend it if you haven't seen it this Halloween. Watch The Others if you haven't. Damn good film. We brought that up last year did we we might have yeah well <laughs> not one of the other episodes. It, it bears uh, mention well then let me <laughs> double my urgency in saying go watch this film all right uh snap judgment check it out and the show spooked uh check them both out they're so good so good cool who's next Can or I jack you got your my, you got your yeah. thing to do i began tucking him into bed and he tells me daddy check for monsters under my bed i look underneath his bed for amusement and see him Another him under the bed, staring back at me, quivering and whispering, Daddy, there's someone in my bed. Ugh. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good stuff. That's quality. That is good stuff. I dig that. All right. Who's, who's next? I've got something, uh, something interesting that really kind of hit home for me. This one felt real in a way that I think is only possible in the modern age. You know, you, you always hear these... You know, still first-hand accounts, but it's in the past tense. Oh, I was in the house and this happened. Well, this is a girl who, at the behest of her neighbor, and I'll have a link to her full story um, available when this comes Really out. quick, I was just going to ask how you came across the story. I'd actually uh, saw it on YouTube. Someone was discussing oh, okay. this whole event and a lot of other creepy goings-on like that. And this okay. was one of the, the more widely talked about ones. This girl, she was, I believe, high school or in that range. Her neighbor, kind of an eccentric loner type of woman, uh, no children, just a small dog, asked her to house sit for her over the weekend. 
for whatever reason, she just felt the need to, you know, she wanted her dog looked after, she wanted her things protected. And the girl was kind of put off, because the neighbor doesn't talk to many people. She looks a little scraggly and unkempt. She's antisocial and kind of awkward, but she felt like she was more or less harmless. And so the time comes, she agrees, she starts spending her first night there, and just to pass the time, she's putting it on Twitter. Just every, oh, I don't know, 15 minutes or so, you know, say like, oh, I'm house-sitting, here's this, here's that, isn't this crazy? And things start to get really bizarre when she finds these rooms full of children's clothes and dolls sitting in rocking chairs, several of them, just all staring straight at the doorway, places the dog won't even go. And she's taking pictures of this and sending it to all of her Twitter followers like, hey, if I get murdered tonight, you know why and where, because there's something weird about this house. And about halfway through, she describes hearing weird noises, lights that turn off and don't turn back on, your standard ghostly fare, and she's getting a little freaked out. So's the dog, which is even more unsettling. Mm. At one point, she gets a direct message on Twitter. Someone tells her, hey, check such and such picture from whatever time. And she looks back and compares a picture she had of one of the dolls in the rocking chair to a more recent one. And its head had visibly turned in a different direction. She swears up and down she didn't touch it. The dog never went in. But as I recall, she ended up not staying the entire weekend. She couldn't do it. There was would just, you? Yeah. <laughs> I would be gone. But it was incredible. Oh, and I saw those pictures of the doll before and after. And just that little snippet was... oh. That's freaky. It's perfect. And and you can't get that except today, you know, right. where everyone has this urge to live stream everything they're doing. It was just cool to think that maybe we'd seen a haunting in progress. You're going to have to shoot, the, shoot me a link. Oh, I want to no watch question. I want to see yeah, that. Yeah, I've got it hot and loaded on this phone right now. <laughs> nice. Nice. All right. Two sentence uh, parable here. My daughter won't stop crying and screaming in the middle of the night. I visit her grave and ask her to stop, but it doesn't help. <laughs> the boy under the bed was worse. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, Jack, what do you got? I told my dog to stop pumping my leg while I tried to sleep. Then I remembered I don't have a dog. <laughs> I don't know if that one's that scary. <laughs> I've got a handful more of these, too. So. Okay, cool. All right. Uh, the one I have here is called, and I think it may be I've talked to you guys about this before but still act surprised okay for the sake of the listeners uh the corpse bride of mexico have i told you guys about this i don't believe i don't know okay i think i've told maybe i haven't okay 75 plus years ago uh i think it was more like 87 88 years ago to be exact um for that long a mannequin has stood in the window uh at this bridal store in mexico Jake shaking his head. I just remembered and moved okay. away. Right. <laughs> and I got to see if I can pronounce uh, the name here. Pasculita? La Pasculita? I don't know. What do you what do you what do you make of that, Jakey? Uh, La Pasqualita? Yeah, we'll go with that. People come from all over to see this mannequin that has graced the window of this shop for this long since the original owner owned it. And boy, howdy, I tell you, if I'm ever in Mexico, <laughs> I'm going to because yeah. I want to be I want to investigate this shit firsthand because this mannequin looks lifelike. 
Lifelike doesn't even cut it. It looks... Like in proportion and the texture. You are looking at a woman. It's And it's weird. Because the rumor is that the original owner taxidermed his daughter and put her in that window. Now, when you look at pictures, certain pictures, like when you start with the face, you look at it and you're like, wow. Now, it doesn't look like a conventional mannequin. That's for sure. But the face, at least via picture, can be excused. Like, okay, yeah, it doesn't look entirely lifelike. Um, but damn, those hands. Those hands, man. Those hands look real. And just looking at photographs online, think you think, oh, fuck, that is a person. I, I would like, go the wrinkles on the hand. Oh, or? dude, they the look detail. Like- they were in a jar of formaldehyde the night before or something. Yeah. I'll show you pictures, and I'll, I'll put pictures. Uh, on, we'll put them on the website yeah, and okay. on Twitter, Twitter and all that stuff so people at home can get a check this out for themselves. Dude, after seeing the pictures of the hands, I would almost venture to say at least some of this mannequin was a living person at some point. Well, you know, it's funny you mentioned that because another thing I had heard was that, um, you know, people were wondering, is the whole thing... Her body, or is it just, just parts? Parts, and uh, as it happens, only a few select, uh, like close people at the store, are allowed to down dress and redress her every few weeks <laughs> for you know with a new dress. And um, though nobody has really attested as to what they've seen, one person said that it makes her horribly uncomfortable and that she can see veins in her legs. <laughs> so. <laughs> It's a weird thing because, you know, if you think about it and you and you ask any taxidermist, not that I asked any, but, <laughs> you know, I've seen their accounts. You, you can see this story so many different places and you see so many different people's takes on being real. And so many actual taxidermists said it's impossible. You could never preserve the human body skin in that way for that long, you know. So... Who's to say? It looks real to me. Yeah. It looks damn real to me. It, it looks real enough that I wouldn't shake hands with it. Oh, God, no. There'd be no touching it. Yeah. Uh, but people have said that uh, she'll change positions in the shop window on her own sometimes. Um, and it, it, another reason people think it's actually her, she was killed by a black widow spider. She was bitten by a black widow spider yeah. either the day before or the day of her wedding. And it killed her. So you get that nice <clears throat> almost fairy tale curse thing going. Mm-hmm. And shortly after, I didn't even think about the fairy tale curse yeah, aspect. Yeah, there's something kind of Disney princess about that, isn't kind it? Kind of fucked up Disney press, yeah. princess. They're all kind of fucked up, though. Yeah, at their heart. Yeah. Yeah. But Disney has a way of hiding that fucked up <laughs> yeah, shit. Sure do. Yeah. Repackaging. Like how Ariel just killed herself. <laughs> yeah. Uh, didn't see that in the Disney nope, film. Nope. You did see a big dick on the front of that uh, oh, the, the the... box to that movie, though. <laughs> I'm sure that's been edited away. If you people don't know what we're talking about, look into it. Research the truth. Yeah. They hit a big dong in the castle <laughs> in the background of the Little Mermaid Hashtag box. Mermaid Dick Castle 2018. You got it. But anyway, um, um, one thing I don't have written down, and I can't even remember her name, but there is a small child, a, a, an infant who died years ago, in the 1800s, I do believe, 
and I believe this is in Italy. And her, I don't know if it was her, I think her father was some kind of a mortician or taxidermist, something to that effect. Sure. And when his daughter died, very, very young girl, he took all these special methods of preserving her body. And to the point you can still go see her. She is in a little casket that has a glass lid on the top. And uh, tourists can you can go see her, but um, she is still there. I mean, of course, her skin color is right. not natural, yeah. but it looks like a little girl laying there with her eyes shut still to this day. And so it makes me think that you know, if somewhere in some part of the world somebody was able to preserve their daughter to that point, is it out of the question that it's not out of the question yeah. that that kind of preservation. The hands say it all, man. The hands just <laughs> the say hands it all. Do. I gotta see these. If pictures. you're on the it's fence, hands. just look at the hands, and you'll be sold. Let's go to Mexico, guys. I mean, is, I can't see much of anything else to do there other than go to that bridal <laughs> shop. So it's going to be get one. spooked by a corpse bride, and uh, then come right back home. It'd be great. <laughs> Might change the whole really vacation the anyway that we'll want to yeah. come back home. Yeah. <laughs> all right, Jack. Another horror haiku or whatever it was. <laughs> You finally seek refuge from a storm in a cave. Your last flashlight flickers just before it dies. You're able to make out five words written in blood on the cave wall. They come with the darkness. Damn. Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> that's my favorite. I think. Yeah, I think that one is too. No, there's one one more that's a good one too. It's funny you say that. And I'm only going to say this because we got a few minutes to kill. I've told the story on the show before about... Uh, I was on a back road Halloween night delivering pizza. So oh, I know big exactly what story you're talking about. Light in the road. Well, years later, I had a friend of mine in the car, and she and I were just cruising around, just talking, uh, having fun. And that happened right near a viaduct, like an overpass. And it was a dark, stormy night. And I drove her out there and was telling her all about that whole story. Like, you know, I came up on the road and just over there, I saw this light. And just about the time. Now, mind you, this is way out in the country. There's no traffic behind us, no one in front of us. Backcountry road. I can get away with the, you know, just I can park the car and not worry about it. <laughs> probably be fine. And I think I did. I put it in park and uh, had the lights off and was trying to get her creeped out. And just as we hit the climax of the story, lightning struck <laughs> and, um, being under that viaduct, being concrete walls on both sides of us, like the local youth group had gone and like traced their bodies on the wall and then painted them. <laughs> Jesus. So here we are like <laughs> frightening ourselves with stories. The lightning crashes and illuminates all these different bodies standing around us. And, <laughs> Oh, it scared oh the God. living shit out of us. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to deviate. Jake, no, no, that's You have fine. another that story you wanted to tell. All right. So I uh, I held on to this one because this is my favorite. And I tell you, the first time I heard this, I got literal chills. I know that's a cliche. I got actual physical chills, especially when I heard the recording that accompanied it. Ooh. So there's actual like... Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's the okay. part that frightens me. Now... Let me preface this by saying, at the time of this recording, I have been, for the last couple of days, frantically trying to find the video I originally saw this on. I'm going to continue that search. Hopefully, by the time this comes out, I'll post the links everywhere possible. This comes from a, a YouTube series that collects creepy stories and mysteries and goings-on and just sort of retells and shares them. This one came from an account of uh, the, the friend of the person who started the channel. 
someone who's had a little bit of trouble in their life with sleepwalking and sleep paralysis, other disorders like that. Nothing horrible or life-altering, but enough that he's seen specialists. Now, he told a story once of the most vivid nightmare he's ever had of being lost in, I believe he described it like a big, empty factory, some kind of industrial shell. It's a dark, moonless, starless sort of night. He can barely see a foot in front of him, and he's stumbling through dust and rust and bits of debris and just trying to find his way, confused and scared in a way he's unaccustomed to in a dream. Generally, there's that disconnect. You feel things in a dream, but they're, they're muted. You're almost a little numb to it, but this was real. This was really raw. And eventually, he finds a door through his wanderings. He gets to this door, creaks open into a forest, a kind of vaguely sinister-looking forest of very exaggerated details and sharp angles. He remembers it, he describes it as being like a like a cartoon that's just wrong. And in the distance, on a table in the middle of this forest, is a telephone. And he approaches, filled with this sudden thought that this is how he gets out of this place. He's not sure why, but logic and dreams can be patchy. You know, it makes sense in the time, but never afterward. <laughs> He makes his way to this phone, and as he inches closer, stumbling through this weird, trippy forest, music starts playing. He describes it as like, uh, like minor key Disney music. Just like a down-tempo, low tones, very menacing, kind of like a, a, a children's tune made wrong somehow. Okay. And it's getting louder and louder. Like a Disney record playing too yeah, slow. Yeah, yeah. And there's something just horrible about it and it's making him feel more and more panicked more and more horrible so he's sprinting to this phone going as fast as he can feeling like he's fighting his limbs the whole time he gets to this phone and he picks it up and he hears this piercing static on the other end he can barely understand anything but he's he's in a panic so he yells you gotta help me you gotta get me out of here i don't know where i am please help me please get me out of here and the whole time the music is playing so loud he can barely hear himself speaking and shortly after hanging up the phone, he wakes up in bed, sweating and terrified, but otherwise okay. And I'll be damned if he doesn't look over and find a message on his answering machine. He picks it up and listens to it. It was him. And it is piercing static, bizarre, unidentifiable children's music, and just snippets of help, out, don't know, God. <laughs> And there it was. And there are a hundred thousand things that could explain it. He could have made it up, but god damn, that one stuck with me. Do you, and you have the audio, you said. Yeah, I, I'm trying to find it. I'm uh, desperately trying. It's to audio find. of the static? or It's audio. It's the, the message. actual message. Oh, the message. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Dude. Mm. Uh-huh. It reminds me of that comic you brought to the table a few weeks back where the uh, guy's in the bathtub and he sees a little hole with a little human. Yeah. Just like a loop. Oh, that was fantastic. Yeah, yeah. That's creepy. Isn't that Mm. horrible? That one stuck with me. It's it's been keeping me up at night ever since. Jesus. That's creepy. Jack, (laughs) wash that out of my mouth. All right. (laughs) This is kind of funny because this almost kind of reminds me of this story. Yeah, Yeah. That's creepy. The last thing I saw was my alarm clock flashing at 12.07 before she pushed her long, rotting nails through my chest, her other hand muffling my screams. I sat bolt upright, relieved it was only a dream. 
But as I saw my alarm clock read 12.06, I heard my closet door creak open. <laughs> hmm. That was, how many, I always thought these were two sentences. It had a comma in it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> two run-on sentences. Yeah. That comma. Yeah. Man. Where did you find these things? Uh, I found them on Facebook like a year and a half ago or something like that. Hmm. It was it's just, just been a waiting to emerge. Yeah, they've been sitting there. It was away at the bottom of my saved feed. I had to really wow. dig to find it. Very cool. Any more of them? You mutter the words, hey, dad, as you recognize the familiar figure of the of your father in the reflection of your laptop screen. A personalized ringing signifies a text from your dad. It reads, tell mom I'll be home late. I'm sorry. Over my head, that one went. <laughs> I missed something. He sees his dad's reflection in his laptop screen just as a message comes up. His dad saying oh, he's I not see. Yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. I get it. I get it. Nothing gets past you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, very good. I, I enjoy our, our, our campfire oh, yeah. tales. Uh, we, it'd be fun to do it around a real campfire, oh, maybe. That be nice? I don't know. What are we going to do? Camp? Make for a fine video. I, we we're can not, burn something. Are we campers? <laughs> We'll just, we'll just burn some shit in the street and sit around it up there. 30 minutes of us, like, frantically slapping our legs to get rid of the mosquitoes. Yeah, it'd be great. It's like, whose fucking idea was this? I'm going to lose, like, 15 pounds in blood alone. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And with that behind us, ladies and gentlemen, don't forget where you can find your spooky, scary deals on T-shirts, decals. <laughs> See what I did there? Sure. I got them. Bargains so low it'll terrify. Exactly. At society6.com forward slash pod. That's where you can rep the Candare podcast via t-shirt, via decal, mug, wall clock. Fuck, what else? Uh, koozies. Koozies. Mugs. You already mm, said Beach mugs. towels. Beach bath towels, towels. Bath mats. Yeah. Yeah. And these mats can go anywhere. They don't have to be in your bathroom. No. The towels can... You can wipe up anything. It could probably be a doormat. It... Why the fuck not? Sure. <laughs> Wipe your feet on our logo. Sure. Why not? Yeah, perfect. Society6.com forward slash pod. Go make it happen. Get there. And now joining us to talk about the movie Unlisted Owner, we welcome Jed Bryan. Jed, thank you so much for being here to talk about your movie. It looks freaking awesome. I'm such a fan of films like this. Kind of the I'm a uh, sucker for found footage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, because uh, it just pulls you it pulls you straight in. It's yeah. hard not to get pulled in by that. It looks like what you can make on your phone, you know? You I feel mean? it immediately. Yeah, yeah. So, can you tell us first a little bit about this movie, Jed? Yeah, for sure. Well, first off, thanks for having me on and I'm glad that I'm getting interviewed by some found footage fans. I've had some interviews where it's like, yeah, we're not really big into found footage and stuff and it can be kind of difficult. So thanks so much for having me on. Uh, but the film is basically about a group of friends who hear about a family of five that is murdered in this house about a mile away from where they're supposed to be camping at. And through uh, a series of bad decisions, they decide to go back to the house later and investigate for themselves. Uh, the film is edited like crime scene evidence. And it is most found footage films. They either go after Bigfoot or it's more of a paranormal vibe. And I decided I wanted to kind of go outside the box a little bit. So I went for a found footage style uh, slasher kind of drama horror film is what I was aiming for. And this is also told from three different perspectives. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. The uh, <clears throat> the evidence you have. Uh, I think there's I think there's five cameras. I can't remember exactly, but you have the family of five. Uh, you have footage of them. Uh, you have the group of friends. You also have a police interrogation video, dash cam video, and then uh, a new family who moves in. Plus, I guess there's also uh, Griffin's camera as well. So I guess there's six cameras. So. 
all kinds of perspectives to watch us go down. And yeah, you know, that's right. On that note, I, I was excited to ask. I'm I'm such a fan of the whole found footage vibe, the way it, it kind of removes another layer of separation between you and what's happening. It certainly feels more more raw, you know, it gets right, right to you. But something I wanted to ask, as a filmmaker, what are some of the challenges you've run into sticking to that found footage sort of visual formula? Because I, I know on the surface it looks like, like, oh, I could do that with a camcorder. You know, there's that kind of vibe, but I've got I, – I have a feeling it's a lot trickier I, than that. You kind of took a question right out of my mouth because uh, I would think that – you know, you're right. Like that kind of footage demands a natural look and acting and having everything look completely natural, I think in itself would mm-hmm. be an overwhelming challenge. Sure. Yeah, it really is. Uh, like, especially effects driven scenes uh, actually for this film, uh, a lot of people don't realize it, which, you know, that's part of the, you know, goes with the art of filmmaking, but we actually had to build a set for the film. Uh, there's actually no attic space in the film and the blood in the ceiling, uh, scene was actually shot in the, uh, the fake room as well, the set. So, uh, to be able to do those effects driven scenes like that, you have to do a series of, I call them blend edits or jerk edits. I think they're actually called whip transitions to where you you dip the camera or move the camera a certain way, and then you mimic that same motion and go into your next scene. And then whenever you edit it together, put it together, it seems like one fluid motion. So that's kind of, I mean, that was like the major challenge where if you do like a, like a high budget traditionally shot film, if you got a guy going through a window, you can have like a shot of him head on. Then you can do a shot of him coming up to the window, then a shot on the other side of the window. Whenever you're shooting a found footage style film, you're very, very limited to the point of view and the perspective that you can show. So it really challenges you as far as telling the story goes, uh, especially in those effects driven scenes. Plus you don't have a musical score in a true found footage film. So that also takes away from the suspense. So you have to kind of build that up with your actors and characters. Oh, wow. I didn't even think about that. That's a good point. Like in pursuing this very particular perspective, sounds like you've got to make quite a few sacrifices. We were just talking before we uh, started recording tonight about another show we're working on about the music and ramping up and pulling, you know, getting people excited. And I didn't even that didn't even occur to me without that. That would be such a challenge. Yeah. And and that's one thing, you know, I mean, I know found footage for some people, they just can't stand it. And I, I, you know, I respect their opinions, but you know, if you take any other horror film out there and you take away the sound and the music, I challenge them to see if it's as good as a found footage film. Honestly, I mean, a lot of the times, you know, the music is like the key to a horror film, a traditionally shot one, whereas found footage, you're, you know, you're having to build that suspense with, you know, your actors and your, you know, just the surroundings around you and try to get those people to feel that kind of creepy vibe and stuff just, you know, with the uh, the stuff that's, you know, right there in the shot. So you, you really need this, this performance, the performances you get from your actors to be organic <clears throat> then because you can't just whip that up in post-production. No, you have... Uh, in uh, found footage, you it's it's really kind of a double edged sword. Uh, there's some people who I've uh, I've read reviews of or who've actually interviewed me, and they're like, you know, Gavin and Tyler, like I hate those guys. You know, I, why are you friends with those guys? And it's like, well, that's not really how they are in real life. I mean, they stood up with me at my <laughs> wedding. They're not really they don't really act like that because if I actually tried to make the movie and they had egos like that, there's no way this film could have been made. I mean, they're I mean they're great guys. So you know, whenever you make a found footage film, you're trying to make it 
look as believable as possible. But then yet again, you know, it's like people are like, well, I hate this person. I don't really think, I don't know why you're friends with them or, you know, that, you know, that looked real or whatever, how, you know, it's like, you know, especially when you do special effects, you want to make them look so believable that people don't know, don't realize like that, that that's actually a, you know, a special effects shot. It says a lot about the acting for people not to like those people thinking that yeah, that's actually yeah, they've left they that much of an impression. Yeah, it, it was pretty them, wild. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. You know, it's kind of backtracking a little bit. You were just talking about uh, people not caring for the genre. And it's it's a strange, I don't know. I guess any anything has its snobs. Like the comic yeah. world has its snobs, so does the horror mm-hmm. genre. Right. And, um, you know, even a lot of the movies that are deemed like some of the best horror films, I... I personally kind of don't get sometimes. It, man, it's so um, subjective. You know, I'm not a horror connoisseur. I like the genre for sure, and um, I like horror movies, but I don't go out like I'm not like testing them like I do wine or anything. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it, you know, I've got to really find one that'll pull me in. It takes a lot for a horror movie to really leave a, a good impression on me, and it's typically these kind of movies that do. The only bad experience I have with found footage would be like in the case of Cloverfield, where it mm-hmm. just made me sick oh, to watch sure. it. Yeah. Like, too shaky. It was far too yeah. shaky. But uh, past <clears throat> that, it's almost preferred when it comes to what I uh, yeah, and, prefer and, you know, horror-wise. That's the thing that kind of draws me to found footage. Like, first, it always satisfies. It's like pizza. Even mm. when it's not perfect, yeah. it's pizza. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, and I find half the time I'd rather just watch like a found footage horror movie, something I know that'll entertain me. Then take a chance on something that might not, you know, call me, you know, unadventurous. But and the other thing is, I think there's that there's just that little tantalizing, you know, every movie you've got your suspension of disbelief. But with found footage, there's that little bit of like, hey, this is real. You know, you you don't get that. That's part of the experience is that you just kind of let the defenses down. And if you lose yourself enough in it, it absolutely is. Oh, Blair Witch, man. That. Yeah. Fucked with a lot of <laughs> I people. That was real. A lot of people after. did yeah. for a long time. Yeah. And um, you know, another movie that's come up before uh, on this show. Not that the whole movie was made of found footage, but they definitely had quote unquote found footage in it. Was the fourth kind, mm-hmm. where for the oh, longest yeah. time, I shouldn't say the longest time, but around the movie's release, <laughs> uh, you know, it was believed to have been the movie made around a actual event. And they had, you know, the reenacted shot right up next to the original footage shot. And I went home sold. I was like, holy shit, there is some weird stuff out there. But, you know, it turns out it's not real. But that's just the power of that, of that found footage. Because anytime the, they had those up, I wasn't watching the reenactment. Who gives a shit about the reenactment? I want to see what really happened. Gets know? right in your head. Yeah, and then that really adds to the realism, too, because you're looking at something that looks a little bit hokey, and then you're looking at something else, and you're like, you know, the quality's not as good, but this looks way more legit. So right. it's, you know, it's it's part of that that really helps. How many reenactments you sit there and think, oh, wow, that's really how it went down. <laughs> yeah. You know, and this is another kind of example. None of this was, like, found footage, but I think of uh, uh, American Horror Story, Roanoke. Did you guys watch? Yeah. Mm-mm. Okay, well, Kathy Bates is the butcher. You know, they set her up, and for the first half, the spoiler alerts ahead for if you haven't seen (laughs) it, but you've had your chance. That was 2016. Come on, you had your chance. (laughs) Uh, But they set up Kathy Bates as the butcher for the first half of the season, and, you know, they make her horrifying. 
But, you know, when they pull that veil back and you find out, you know, okay, well, she was just portraying the butcher. Here's the real one. And you're just like, wow. Oh, my God. (laughs) She was frightening. She was was horrifying. (laughs) She kind of upset. Excuse me. Because they showed us the reenactment of it, like he's saying. You accept that it's not real. And yeah. then when it is again, you're like, oh, geez. Yeah, even when they're not trying to sell it as real, it's coming across as yeah. that, as such because of that. Anyway, am I talking over? Am I, am I chasing my own tail here? <laughs> no, I agree with you 100%. That's actually my favorite uh, American Horror Story season. A lot of people would probably argue with me till they're blue in the face. You know, not me, sir. That. Oh, it's such a ballsy concept. Not me. It's, yeah. I, it's probably not my favorite season, but it's my favorite idea for a season it's the by only season margin. i've watched front to back yeah i'll tell you that oh there you go yeah um for sure for but sure. it just goes to show that especially for a genre like horror it's got to hit close to home right it's it's got to be relatable there has to be an element that ties you in or makes it a human experience right be that actually looking through the uh, first person perspective or you know retold as a first-hand account that's that's what makes it scary, right? Is that it could be real even when you know it's not. I guess what we're getting at here, Jed, is you did you did good. You did the yeah. right thing. You did, you did good. <laughs> well, thank you guys. I appreciate that. <laughs> but uh, as far as where our listeners can check out Unlisted Owner, uh, where can they find it? I, I think this is on Amazon Prime, right? Yeah, it's available on Amazon Prime, uh, Google Play Store, iTunes, and then uh, if you want to get it on DVD, which we have about ten minutes of special features on there, uh, you can get that through uh, Amazon as well, Barnes and Noble, Fye. Walmart.com and there's a few others out there I'm probably forgetting and also if you're big found footage fans there's actually a a channel streaming channel called POV Horror I don't know if you guys have heard of that but but it's a streaming channel I think I can't I can't remember exactly how much it is per month it's like $3.99 a month I think and they have access to like all these different found footage films it's actually ran by the guys who run uh, foundfootagecritic.com so but yeah it's it's a pretty cool little deal there but yeah Enlisted Owner is also available on there to watch very cool. It sounds like about anywhere movies are found. Yeah, yeah. yeah. With the exception of Redbox, you, you got your bases it. covered. There. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. I wouldn't man. call Redbox a sign of quality either, so no, I wouldn't no, worry no. about that's that. That's not why I brought it up. I just said <laughs> yeah. that's just the one thing oh, I he know. didn't say. Like, if anything, it's in his favor. <laughs> End up renting sure. a paper copy of the <laughs> DVD. <laughs> I am well, super it, excited to watch this. I'm saving it, I think, for a little closer to Halloween. Oh, yeah. I, I, that's when I like to uh, really devour immerse. that yeah. stuff. Yeah, it's like awesome. right on or around. But, Jed, I want to thank you so much for being here and uh, for promoting this movie. Thanks so much for being here, man. Happy Halloween to you. Yeah, same to you guys. And thanks again. I really appreciate you guys taking the time out to check out the movie and have me on the show. Hey, our pleasure. Yeah. Okay, and again, you can check out Unlisted Owner on Amazon Prime and my God, all the many other different uh, places it was available. It's everywhere. Like everywhere yeah. Yeah. You'd have to Most make an everywhere. effort to avoid this movie. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a good thing, but I can't wait to watch it. But you can find Jed on Twitter at Mr. Jed underscore Brian, and you can find uh, at Unlisted Owner. It has its own account, the movie does. So uh, a few places to check it out there. Strongly recommend doing it. And now, ladies and gentlemen, we welcome to the show somebody who, uh, in his own right, made horror movie history. 
by giving, in a big way, I would say. Yeah. By giving Jason Voorhees his crucial hockey mask. That's how we know him. We welcome Larry Zerner to the show, who portrayed Shelly in the uh, Friday the 13th Part 3 in 3D. What a what a fun movie that oh, is. Yeah. I love watching those films. They never get old for me. I mean, I, it gives you a feeling that you, you can't replicate Yes, that's why they're classics, yeah. you know? So, uh, obviously. But, yeah, he, he did this. He also reprised Shelly in the Friday the 13th video uh, game. Video game. Right. And he's uh, been in a ton of other horror films since. He's, he's really marked his spot in the horror genre with his uh, character Shelly. So mm-hmm. it was awesome to welcome him to the show. We get to find out a little bit about his experience. Um, I'll quit flapping my gums. Let's just cut it right over to our interview with Larry Zerner. Larry, I want to thank you so much for taking some time to talk with us tonight. It's really an honor to have somebody who's part of cinematic history here with us on the show today. Oh, thanks for having me. I always ask anyone we have on the show who's been in any kind of horror movie uh, if they're a fan of the holiday, because typically what you see is uh, a hard extreme one way or the other. They either love it or hate it. Very little gray area. Right, right. (laughs) Which side of the uh, fence are you on? I love Halloween. It's the greatest holiday. But where I live, like, no one comes. No one trick-or-treats in my neighborhood. I live up in the hills. There's no sidewalk. So there's just no no one ever comes to my house. Yeah. But I do. I call that a blessing. I think here. I live on the edge of town right before the country, so nobody comes to my house either. Yeah, yeah. It, I don't know. I, th- I feel like when we had uh, first moved, maybe a few people had knocked on our door, but I, I never answered it. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, very cool, very cool. So you played, obviously, Shelley uh, in Friday the 13th, Part 3 in 3D. And uh, from what I have understand, doing research, the way this role first came to you was quite literally picked up on the street. Sort of, kind of like that. I was, uh, I, I was uh, in L.A., an aspiring actor, studying acting, and uh, had a job um, handing out movie tickets to, you know, screenings, you know, in L.A., to test screenings. And I was in Westwood on a Saturday night handing out uh, uh, passes to a movie no one had ever heard of called The Road Warrior, which no one wanted to see. Um, (laughs) And uh, uh, these people came up to me, and they're like, are are you an actor? And, you know, I thought maybe they'd seen me in, like, you know, my high school production of Grease. I I don't know. And I was like, (laughs) yeah. And they're like, well, we wrote this movie, and we think you'd be perfect for it. And so that was uh, Carol Watson and Marty Katrasser who, who wrote the script, and they saw me there, fat, with the afro, and they're like, that is Shelley. And um, so I, I, I had an agent, and I gave him my agent's information, and a, a few days later I got a call to go in and audition. I still had to go in and, and, and you know, audition and, and win, win the role, uh, but uh, really, it was like that role was written for me. So, sure, yeah. I mean, you played the role well. I, I can't imagine anybody else in that role. It was perfect. It was absolutely perfect. It must be a good feeling that even among the people who were perfect for the part, picked up on the street, perhaps the same way, you were the most perfect out of that bunch. <laughs> I'm still going to get my break the same way. <laughs> yeah, <give laughs> just standing time. on the corner, to stand outside all the time. <laughs> 
keep waiting. That's how, back. It, works. That's how it works in Hollywood. You just that's you just you know when you're if you're if you're uh, blonde and 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 big breasted, you get that, and if when you're Shelly, you get that. That's, that's the two extremes. <laughs> Jokes aside, Jennifer Lawrence got her start that way. She was in New York with her family, and someone saw her on the street. Says, "You got to look. You know, come down here." And that was began her journey to superstardom. <laughs> We're exactly the same that way. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, this has already given me the confidence to drop everything and move to Hollywood. There you yeah. go. I think it's time. You're you're <laughs> going to succeed for sure. It's, right? it's a guarantee. Absolutely. Now, this was uh, in the early '80s, so like being in the at that time, you know, a lot of the horror icons, you know, not only Jason but Freddie, Mike Myers, Chucky, all of them were just those seeds were being planted. What was the horror genre like at that time? There wasn't much. I mean, you know, Halloween had come out, and there were, but you know, because and then they they only done the first two, and then the third one, right? No more Michael Myers, right? And, and uh, Nightmare hadn't started yet. Uh, um, Friday Thirteenth had one movie with only one movie with Jason, right? So they, there wasn't really an established sure. thing. So there wasn't really this this thing where you have. Franchises. There wasn't any. There wasn't any franchise back then. This was. This is pre-franchise. Mm. So, going into it, were you excited? I mean, I'm sure you had heard of the movies before, but I mean, what were you? What was the feeling going in, and what was filming it like? Yeah. Well, it was. I mean, look, I'm, I'm an aspiring actor, and I'm cast as a, in a big part in a in a movie. I mean, that sure. that was. Uh, forget it. I mean, that was that was everything, and so that it was. Uh, um, you know, it wasn't the, the I wasn't thinking of the iconicness because there wasn't any iconicness of it yet. It was just like to to act and to get paid, and this was a dream come true. It was fantastic. Sure. How cool! And I've you know I've got to say that um, at risk of sounding like an ass kiss here, <laughs> your character really was the most endearing and most dimensional character I feel like in that movie because you know a lot of these characters seem to be typical stereotypes played out and, they exist you know, to be killed they exist to be killed one. and you know Shelley it seems like kind of started that way you know as the the goofball the you know the guy who's trying to scare everyone but you know he later comes into saying well I have to be like that you know he's insecure with himself and you know you see rejection you know uh when he tells a girl how he feels there's a lot of depth to that character yeah, i think that, a lot that of it comes from somewhere real yeah that a lot of these other characters uh didn't get and i just i wanted to tell you that i, I love the character he's he's amazing well that's not i mean well that's really the fact that the the the, the authors the, the writers gave me you know had that for for Shelley. they gave him some a, a bit you know to to have some empathy for him or but uh, you know a lot of people hate Shelley. i get that too it's 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 maybe you know i think more people like him but i there are people who just find him annoying and cuz he's annoying i mean look what he he at the first thing he does is do that dumb stabbing thing outside the apartment thing, and then he fakes his death there, and then he jumps out of the water. I mean, he's full of these really bad pranks. That's not a really, you know, he's he's a troubled guy. He's troubled. <laughs> right. And, you know, well, something you just mentioned there, him faking his own death. You know, we never see Shelley's actual death in the movie, obviously. And, um... I think that's adds even another dimension kind of to the character. You get to see how everyone dies, but you know, we are always in the privy to knowing something that that victim doesn't know. Like they think, oh, well, Shelly just ran in the barn. Well, that wasn't Shelly, that was Jason. 
you know, where with Shelley, when he comes in with his next, you know, cut, the audience is just as, you know, on the fence as the other people. Yeah. Like, is he kidding? Is he really dying? What's sort of going that boy on who here? Cried so, wolf sort of situation. Yeah, really? exactly. I always thought, I always took it as like, I, I never thought that worked that anyone, like Shelly, because by the time Shelly, you see Shelly with a throat cut, you've seen Jason wearing the mask. Uh, so you know, you know, he took the mask. And, oh, that's true. And a bunch of people have died. Uh, um, so you know, the killings have started. And I don't know that anybody looks at that and goes, "Oh, look at that other, look at that great thing." I mean, I mean, it's only works for Chile, who's like, "Well, of course she doesn't know." I mean, the the one thing about part three that I I I, I like is that nobody knows, other than Chris at the end. And Chris is the only actor who knows that someone else has been killed. Everyone else just dies. I mean, really immediately. I mean, uh, Chili knows for a second. She says, Shelly's dead, and then she dies. But, uh, but otherwise, there's no, like, why are you going in the barn? Why are you doing that? Well, because why wouldn't you? There's no, there's no danger to any of these people. Shelly doesn't go, there's a killer in the barn. He's going in the barn to see uh, Chuck and, and Chili uh, getting high and making out and, and having sex. That's, I mean, there's, why, would you, why would you be worried about that? There's no, there's no fear there. Right. Exactly. Yeah, I totally forgot that they, they show the mask on him yeah. before they reveal that Shelly's neck had been... Yeah. Wow. So I got a... What kind of direction were you given uh, by the directors then with this character when you first came in? <laughs> well, the, the, so the, the first day, uh, Steve Miner says, he says, Larry, I, I don't want you putting on a character. It's just you. Just make it you. And And that worked because... So everything is sort of... How would how would I do this? What would be? And I I I related to pretty much everything that Shelley was doing because I had done stupid things, I'd not never faked my own death, but I'd certainly done stupid things to get attention from women and been rejected by you know lots of women in my in in, in my time. So I fully understood those feelings and I was able to channel them. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, that's like how the, you get a memorable character. The dream acting job, because usually you got to deep, dig deep into the character and find out their motivation and all that. And otherwise, yeah, like reprogram like, your personality. Just be yeah. yourself. Oh, okay. I can do that. Yeah. <laughs> I can do that easily. This is something that I've been thinking about, Kit. The Halloween spirit hits me pretty fast these mm-hmm. days, so I'm already fully in it. And a question crossed my mind the other day that now I can finally get an answer to. The mechanics of filming a death scene. What's it like trying to be in that moment where you've got your throat slit? How do you get into that headspace, make yeah. these sounds? I, I wish I could tell you because I, I, I was not in a good space that night. I don't think that was my best night of acting, uh, doing that death scene. Because, you know, it, it was just there's a lot of stuff going on. It's First of all, it's, it's two in the morning. It's cold. I, I'm wearing that wetsuit. It's wet because I'm supposed to still be a little wet. Sure. Uh, yeah. So you're uncomfortable. And I, I, I did not put my. I don't. You know. So I'm just like. I don't know how to die. I haven't really studied that. I'm not. I'm not really pleased with that. So I, I don't know. I don't think I have an answer for you on that. I'll go back and do it again one day. That's got to be one of the most difficult things I would think to do. I have to I mean, imagine it takes yeah. something you know, out of you. Acting, typically people pull from experience. Well, we, <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully you don't have that opportunity. <laughs> yeah. I've got to know, how long after the film did you rock the fro? 
long time. I mean, I had that fro from ninth grade. Oh wow! Uh, on, uh, yeah, I I always had the fro. Sorry, um, I had to throw that in there. You you wore it well, my, my friend. You dedicated <laughs> to it. Yeah. I really dug it. Yeah, no, I, I I always had the fro. I mean, through all the way through college. So yeah, it wasn't like oh, let's give him a fro. No, no, that was my hair. <laughs> Now, after the film, you... I don't know if you're old enough to remember Room 222. Do you, do you remember that show? Oh, boy, I remember the title. I don't remember the oh, show. There's a Vaguely. guy on that show named Larry who, uh, who, had a big, who had a big afro. And I, I think when I was young, I was like, oh, yeah, I want to be that guy. He was sort of the, practic- he was sort of the joker on Room 222. <laughs> His picture on the bathroom mirror, you're looking at it while you're picking your hair. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. And now after uh, Friday the 13th, you did a few other uh, appearances in movies and uh, TV shows before you went to school to become a copyright attorney, correct? Yes. And uh, so what was the motivation there? Why did you want to move into uh, law? Uh, Well, it was more Hollywood's motivation to have me not act. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. And you've been doing that for how long now? 27 years. Wow. I I just wanted to touch on that. I really don't know what to ask. I was going to say that... There's probably less of a chance you'll be murdered by a psychopath as a lawyer, but before I started asking, I started to wonder if that's true or not. <laughs> uh, I, I think it's about the same, but you know, but I, I, I mean, I love being a lawyer, and uh, I represent a, a number of people in the horror world. Um, uh, Dan Farrens, who directed uh, Crystal Lake Memories, the documentary, I'm his lawyer. Um, uh, Rebecca McKendry, who's uh, on the Shockwaves pod, I'm her lawyer, uh, and uh, they and luckily they they put me in their movies. So uh, I've had little parts in movies in the past few years, which is a lot of fun. There's a few of those I want to touch on. I, I read some of the titles, like wow, that sounds interesting. But before I do, I got to know, uh, you know, reprising Shelley for the Friday the Thirteenth game. I personally got to play this game. Did you guys play it at all? I haven't played I'd it. I'd seen no. it played. I never got my hands oh, on it. Oh, it's so much fun. It's addictive, and it's a simple mechanic, but sure. my God, it just it's entertaining for hours. Yeah. Um, but one thing I didn't get to do was play the, uh, the Shelly DLC. What was it like uh, reprising that character? Uh, it was it was great. Uh, I, I had met the guys uh, who, who did the game uh, a year before it came out. A, a mutual friend introduced us, and I saw, saw like, an early, early prototype of it and sort of kept in touch with them. And then uh, when they were doing it, you know, I, 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 I sort of made it clear that I would be love to have, have a, be a character. And, you know, when they started, they didn't have the money to get any of the rights other, so the only the only movie character in the game was Tom Matthews, uh, oh. Tom Jarvis, uh, and then um, uh, slowly as the as the game became a success, they started adding people from the movie, but without uh, actually using those actors. So they added Fox from Part Three and Chuck from Part Three, or they changed his name, uh, and then they they said we're putting Shelley in, and they let me uh, come in and do the voice. Uh, which was great. I'm sorry, you probably already answered this, but you're saying you were one of you were the only like authentic casting me back and, into the game. Me and, me and Tom Matthews, Tom Matthews too, are the only are the only actors from the movie who who did our own voices. And the voiceover experience, I imagine you probably had a few lines from your movie, but was it other than that, just like oh, e, oh, 
oh, yeah. stuff like there's that. Like, yeah, you're you're in a booth. It's really a, a, a new experience because there's like 200 lines, you know. Uh, oh, got it. Or, oh, no, they're going to kill me. You know, and you have to say <laughs> it three times and then move on. And that's, it's exhausting. It really is exhausting to do that um, for hours of, of, especially when something's intense. You know, you have to do screaming and stuff. Um, uh, but uh, But a lot of fun. Absolutely. I've always wanted to do something like oh, that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One of these days. Give One of these days. I'll uh, stand out on the street and I'll get cast. <laughs> Listen to that guy scream. Yes. <laughs> Larry Zerner, Jennifer Lawrence, Jack Doherty. That's right. you'll, you'll be the next. The Trinity. There it is. Another thing I wanted to touch on were uh, horror conventions. You know, Recently, I uh, just attended my first horror hound within the past year. It was amazing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely amazing. Uh, the fans are so passionate but they're also very rabid you know very <laughs> yeah. you know they they love what they it's love a weird sort of passion in the horror community but it's it's infectious you know I, I absolutely adore it so i wanted to ask you one you know what's it like being in there amongst these fans and two do you have any extreme like stories with extreme fans or anything like that i do love going to the conventions when i can um uh, and uh, uh, there's they're a lot of fun. It's just a great weekend, and and it's great to um, you know the fans are all great. I really don't have any bad experiences, or you know it's just amazing that from all ages they 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 they, they, they like the movie, they love the movies, they love Shelley, they come in and want an autograph, which is uh, amazing. And then for me as a fanboy myself, I get to go and meet. You know the other actors from other movies. Oh yeah, uh, and and you know and I and I get to go as the peer, which is so much, um, so much fun. You know, like like to, to I got to, I went to Germany last year, um, and it was Tom Savini and. Oh. Uh, 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 who, and uh, Michael Bean was there, and Tony Moran from Halloween, and uh, Crystal Lowe from uh, Fi- Final Destination, and Courtney Gaines from Children of the Corn, and Adrian King from Part One. Wow. Friends, and I mean, it was like there were like thirty of us, and we we all sort of bonded over a long weekend in Germany, and it was so great. And then I, I went, oh, and um, oh, Galen Ross from Dawn of the Dead, and I'm such a Dawn of the Dead fan and i got to you know and it's like so that's the good that's for me is the great part like you get to like hang in the hotel with the with the other actors and 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 meet them i love that it's it's a very um inviting environment to me you know we've covered so many comic cons and when you go and you see people you you know admire from tv and movies Boy, you either have to fork out a ton of money to even get within sight of them. Otherwise, you're being pushed back. And, you know, the experience I had at the recent uh, Whorehound we went to was just, you know, everyone seemed very approachable. And, you know, that just was very uh, infectious. I want to go back. Yeah, you know, I, not... I had been to a Texas Frightmare that had that same vibe. There's something yeah. about the horror convention that's very accepting, almost warm. In exactly. Kind of that's the perfect word to use. Very warm. <laughs> The actors love. I mean, look, there we're there because we enjoy it. I mean, yeah, we get some money, but if if it if it wasn't fun, no one would go. I mean, mm-hmm. the people wouldn't go. They they go because they enjoy it, and uh, we we enjoy being with the fans. And and you should never be 
shy about even if you're not like I don't want to buy an autograph but I I, I just want to tell you I, I love that thing or ask a question you know they're they're everyone's usually really cool about that and I, I you know I love doing that too and going to talk to the people you know it's fun absolutely have you had anyone uh, freak out on you or just do anything very extreme any any fan that stands out in the memory <laughs> I wish I had a good story there. I don't. I no. don't. <laughs> That's all right. That's all right. Again, it just goes back to showing. You know, some people might think, well, a horror convention might attract some. Oh, they like, must be. They weird. only come out at night. Not the case. No, Very... I think they're just excited. There are other people who are into the same exactly. weird stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Very wholesome people, right? And you know that it gets me thinking. In my mind, there's like a support group for people who have been murdered by famous movie psychopaths. So I've got to know. Do you, do you keep in touch with the uh, other cast members? Do you guys share a drink every now and then over, I don't know, how you were killed and when or anything to that effect? Well, I, I mean, it used. I mean, I, I we're all like all the part three people are on Facebook. Most of all, those most some of us are, and and so we're we stayed. We you know we we keep in touch that way. And um, I mean, I just saw Tracy Savage. Because uh, they had a screening of Part Three here in 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 Hollywood um, in August, and uh, that was great. They had a three D screening, and and that was fantastic. So we're we're when we see each other, it's like, uh, yeah, it's like you know people would someone I went to high school with. Um, uh, we have a a, a a lasting bond, and even now with the other anyone else who was in a Friday Thirteenth. Uh, so Adrian King or uh, Amy Steele or you know uh, any or anyone from any of the movies we see each other. It's like, hey, how you doing? You know, I, um, uh, I we run into I run into people all the time, and it's just like, hey, how are you? It's it's great to see them. And join the alumni, basically. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. Now uh, you uh, had mentioned earlier there were some uh, more recent horror films you'd been a part of, and the few I found were All the Creatures Were Stirring, a Christmas horror film. And uh, one I could find very little on the haunting of Nicole Brown Simpson. I was wondering if you could show some or shed some light onto those. Yeah. So the um, all the creatures are stirring is a Christmas horror anthology film. Stars uh, Constance Wu from um, uh, Crazy Rich Asians. Uh, she's one of the, there's. It's like five segments, like uh, Twilight Zone. And uh, I am in one of the segments. Um, I can't really talk about it. It'll be out, uh, I think, December seventh. Oh wow, it's that fresh! Wow. Yeah, that that that's coming out. And then uh, the haunting of Nicole Brown Simpson is a uh, so there's a series of movies that uh, again Dan Dan Farrens, who wrote Halloween Six and uh, directed Crystal Lake Memories. Uh, uh, has produced and wrote, written. Uh, the first one was is uh, haunting uh, haunting in Amityville, which was coming out in October. I'm not in that, uh, which is about the DeFeo murders, which was the murders before the Lutzes came in. Then he did the haunting of Sharon Tate, which will be out next year with Hilary Duff as Sharon Tate. And then the third one is haunting of Nicole uh, with Mina Savari as uh, Nicole Brown Simpson. And uh, I, I play the neighbor walking the dog who uh, who finds the bodies. That's that's my role in that one. <laughs> wow, I've never heard of these. These sound intriguing. Yeah. I want to hear. Listen, uh, well, the, the Amityville one comes out sometime in October. Sometime in October. Perfect. I'm gonna have to keep an eye out for oh, those. Yeah. That sounds awesome. Any other projects we should know about? 
Uh, oh, I have a part in a movie, a horror movie called Hanukkah, um, which also uh, has Sid Haig and PJ Souls. No one's done a Hanukkah-themed horror movie. so oh, it's about be... time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's about due for one, I think. I wonder if there's a uh, Hanukkah hairy version of Krampus, you think? <laughs> but I'm asking you, Jack. Oh, <laughs> we could probably make one. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, we need to fill get, that get folklore the right, void. There you there. go. Yeah. Well, Larry, I just want to, again, thank you for being here. And this has been a hell of a lot of fun to have Shelly on the show. And yeah. uh, just a happy Halloween to you. Okay, happy Halloween. Thanks for having me. All right, everyone. And that was our interview with Larry Zerner. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. He was cool to talk to. Absolutely. Again, cool to have some uh, horror history and right the here list on grows the show. Yeah. Of all these these uh, horror classic affiliated folks we get to talk to. Boy, I love our Halloween episodes. Aren't they just fun? Something special about it. I wish every week was Halloween. Well, I guess it could be. We're we're in charge here. Yeah, That's a good so point. Nah, year round Halloween. I see. I see that twinkle in your eye. Jake. <laughs> <laughs> Don't taunt me. <laughs> you can find Larry on Twitter at Larry Zerner. And uh, yeah, check out his IMDb page too, because uh, all kinds of films he's been in. Uh, I blew my mind. I had no idea he was in so many different films. He's a busy guy. Very busy indeed. All right. Uh, I think that's going to do it for our Halloween episode this year. So, Jack, what do we have on the website? Go to candairpodcast.com and check out some of our special guests, YouTube videos. Buy some merch, become a patron, and if you want to give us an email and say hi, do it. And don't forget, on Facebook and Twitter, we are at CannedAirPod. On Instagram, we are at Canned underscore Air. And if you like what we do, head on over to Patreon. Just a couple of bucks a month will more or less change our life, but if you hit that $5 mark or more, you have access to the Patreon-exclusive Founders Club podcast. That you do. And again, what if our new show, our new series... Uh, running on, well, running wherever podcasts are found and on Patreon. It's going to be on both formats. Again, probably here within the next week, I would imagine, Won't be right? Long. Yeah, about, yeah. Yeah. It's, A new age we're looking down the barrel of our. I hope it's good. I hope people like it. We'll find out. I sent it to a few people to see what gauge their reactions. I haven't heard back from them yet. You lost friends, maybe. <laughs> I'm thinking so. I was hoping to hear back maybe from them by now. Maybe their minds and they're just dead now. I, I I don't think I wield that kind of power, Jake. My God, I would don't like say to. Yourself but, short, yeah. Well, you're, it's nice of you to say, buddy. But anyway, what if series on Twitter? Uh, what else? What Instagrams at what if PDCST, I yes. believe, and our website what if pod.com. Go to these places. Give us a follow. Be in the know when that drops. And uh, we are in week two of our residency with the band Hail Sagan. We uh, first played these guys' music on our show in 2016. And uh, I, there's something about their music I just love, and I especially love the show going out on it. Yeah, the industrial metal sets thing. the tone, yeah. 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 Industrial metal. We're children of the 90s, right? I mean, Dude, yeah. We're in the, the area where it was pretty much anytime you can't tell the difference between the synth and someone smashing a garbage can with a (laughs) mallet then i'm already in (laughs) i don't know that that's going on here but hey uh, it's still really good music (laughs) but uh yeah we're going out today with the song doors will open doors will open yeah yeah another awesome track that we didn't get to feature last time as it wasn't yet released but it is now And I want to encourage everyone to go to iTunes or wherever you buy your music and pick up their new single, Hater Bait. Uh, Just came available this, what, the 19th of October, I believe. So, yeah, get in while the getting's hot. Hater Bait, available for purchase. Anything else, guys? 
I think that about covers it. Yeah, happy Halloween to you both. Everybody. And happy Halloween to our listeners. Uh, But until next time, I am Jeremy Collins. I'm Jack Doherty. I'm Jake Runyon. Thanks for listening. there's a fire in your house be sure to get outside immediately and once outside get on candarepodcast.com well thanks for the tip blowtorch but just one question what about the fire and no one is half the battle G.I. Joe
I told my dog to, I told my dog to stop humping my leg. Ugh. I told my dog to stop hunt. Ugh. <laughs> Are you tired of seeing your teen or young adult struggle on a path that clearly isn't the right fit? Is your teenager confused about which direction to take after high school? The future of work is changing rapidly, and our kids need to know all of the options available after high school so they're empowered to make the choice that is best for them. In each episode, we explore the latest trends that are shaping the opportunities of today and tomorrow. I'm your host, Betsy Jewell, and this is the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast. 